This is one of those Gospels where there's so many things you want to talk about. Why include the detail of the charcoal fire? Why 153 fish? In the English version, something's lost in that translation between Jesus and and Peter at that end. And there's so much to talk about, but um, this is my last homily, so I'm going to do what I want to do. Many of you so probably, much for training. <laughs> I'm done with that. I can do whatever. I can go lone wolf now. It's just, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> so many of you have probably noticed that in homilies, I like to define terms. And, and I do this with the, the intention that if we, if we learn how to use these words in a particular way, people will pick up on it and then they'll use it too. And so one of the terms I want to talk about today, two of the terms, is happiness and joy. Um, they're very different, but we, I think we, a lot of us use joy and happiness interchangeably, and, and I think this is something we can, we can change. Uh, you see, happiness, happiness has to do with your condition. So if you give me an ice cream cone, I'm happy. If you give me a pizza, I'm ecstatic. I have to do a fat joke before he, he chimes in, so <laughs> this being my last mass, you know, he's, he just wants to get every rib he can in. But... Uh, but the idea is, is if you give a kid a gift, he's happy or she's happy, and you take it away, he or she is sad. And so happiness is very much based on your condition of life. But joy is not. Joy is not about your life and the condition of your life. What it's really rooted in is in your, in your relationship to Jesus Christ. It's something much deeper. It's like a virtue that needs to be cultivated, something that you grow in. It allows you to, to, to feel peace and no calm even when things are stressful is knowing that Jesus is with you. And so joy is, is a word that we need to use this way. And so to, to look at the distinction, I think we, we can look at our gospel, because in it you'll see both happiness and joy. The disciples, they follow Peter into a boat, they go out fishing, they return to their old lives, and overnight they catch nothing. And so they're probably sad. A stranger tells them from the shore, a stranger who probably knows nothing about fishing, tells them, Throw your net over the right side of the boat. And this should be a familiar story, right? They've done this before. And just like when they listened to the stranger years ago, they caught a large number of fish. So it's a catch that's almost just too big, and so they're happy. But then we notice the, the gospel says this. Listen again. The disciple whom Jesus loved said, It is the Lord. And bang, everything changes. It just pivots, and that's joy. And what happens? What happens? What does joy feel like? What does it look like? Well, it looks a lot like Peter getting out, <laughs> putting on some clothes and jumping out of a boat. It just forces you to act. It forces you to just engage the Lord. It's, it's, it's caused such a stir in them. Everything changes. This deep joy calls us to action. And we see the same thing in the second reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Again, circumstance does not dictate joy. They're in bad shape. They've been arrested. They're being interrogated. They're being told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And then they're dismissed. And listen again to what the, 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 the writer says. Peter and our Lord's disciples leave, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. They're leaving rejoicing. They're, not, they're probably not happy, but they have joy. And what happens? In the very next verse, they can't help but to keep teaching in his name. They keep 
proclaiming the person of Christ. Because suddenly they have this joy. And the joy forces them. It compels them. It pulls them into showing their love. I mean, they have the joy of knowing, following, and loving the Lord. And they can't help but give that away. And that's our joy. There's this young lady at the time of the story, she's about 13. Her name's Lily, and uh, Lily has Down syndrome. Uh, and her, her Down syndrome is, is enough that she can't speak. She doesn't, she's not able to speak words. Uh, but she loved church. She loved it. And her favorite part was uh, every Sunday was processing up the aisle. And her dad would stand behind her and walk behind her and, and hold her arms so she could cross her arms and come up for the blessing. And she loved it. She, she was just so joyful. And, but it, her parents assumed because she couldn't speak, she couldn't go to classes, she couldn't speak the amen to receive the Eucharist. But they wanted to talk to the priest because it was clear that Lily really, really wanted the Eucharist. She wanted it and she loved God. There's no question about that in their minds. So they go to the priest and the priest sits them down sitting across from Lily and parents and, uh, he says to Lily, he says, when I hold up the Eucharist, who is this? Lily just points up. Pastor, of course, says, well, I don't know about you, but that's good enough for me. <laughs> and, and, and rightly so. Rightly so. She gets it. I think she got the mystery more than some of us. Uh, you know, I'm a theologian. I could put fancy words to it, but I don't know if I understand the Eucharist as well as she does. So the next week, uh, she's coming to Mass with her family, and Lily, she, she knows she's receiving the Eucharist, totally stoked, and she's clapping up the aisle. And, uh, and this happened for a few weeks, until a, a couple of parishioners went to their pastor and said, can you make her stop? It's distracting, it's, it's irreverent, it's inappropriate. Uh, of course, this hurt the priest's feelings to think that his own people would be offended by her joy. And he said, you know, she claps because she has joy. She claps because she loves the Lord. I, he's, and he's wondering, I, I'm, I'm not going to be the one that takes that away from her. I'm, and he was hurt that they, they, would, they would feel that way. And he asked him, well, where's your joy? So, yeah, I, she gets it. This little girl... She understood what was happening, the miracle of receiving the Lord's body, blood, soul, and divinity. And, and, and on this weekend where we celebrate First Communion, I would hope that we all have the same joy because this is the Christian joy. She gets it. And as someone becoming a priest, you know, we're giving a, our lives to this in your sacramental life. It's hard to watch people process up the aisle just so indifferent, apathetic about the reception of our, body, of our Lord's body and blood. It's it's mind-boggling sometimes. And, and I've, I'll be the first to admit it. Sometimes this is me. Sometimes this is a lot of priests, nuns, monks. We're not immune. I mean, how many times have you come up? How many times have you come up to the Eucharist with your hands out? And I've done this where I'm thinking bad thoughts about the person giving it to me because I don't like them in class. Or how many times do you stand, in, and I'm here too, stand in the, in the line for the chalice and you're thinking about, well, how's the rest of my day going to go? And then when it's finally my turn to, to receive, all I can eke out is this week. Yeah, amen. As if to say, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Something's wrong. 
Something's missing. Some joy is, is it, it's not pulling me to act right. If this is you today, I'm going to ask you to remember this young lady. I'm going to ask you to remember Lily. And, not, and none of you, none of you better come up clapping. <laughs> Don't even think about it. I, I shared this story once, and during the offertory, some lady just gave a round of applause. She just stood up. Yeah. And the priest looked at me. You're going to fix this. And I said, no, I'm leaving. Um, <laughs> so go ahead. I don't, do it next week. I don't care. Uh, okay, don't come back. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to ask you to remember Lily. Someone, a few of you have noticed this and, and asked me about it, but before Eucharist, almost always, I'll do a little one of these. No one, no one sees it, no one hears it, but I remember her. And... and her clapping, that's such a firm amen. You know, it, she digs in. And so I also want you to remember the second reading from Revelation, the book of Revelation. I love to watch people listen to it because they're like, this is, this is crazy. But the book of Revelation can be and should be understood as a, sim, a story of symbols about the Mass. Think about the beginning of Revelation. John is celebrating the Lord's Day and he's swept up into heaven. This is it, he's here. And all these symbols, this is what's happening. And so when we talk about, when we hear about the the story today about these worshipers, those worshipers are you and me. That's us. The ones who are crying out, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. That's our praise. This is every worshiper across time and space praising the Lord. These are our words. And then we hear about the worshipers. What do they do? They speak amen and fall to their faces. They're so overwhelmed by their joy. They're compelled to act in this way. And yet we can come up to the Eucharist. Amen. This is, there's, a, there's a disconnect here. I must be lacking the joy. And we say amen and only amen because it says it all. Think about all the words in the liturgy we've translated. We don't translate amen because you can't. It says it all. It says, I, I believe 100%. Yes, I'll put my life on the line. This is my faith. It says everything. And so when Jesus is saying, body of Christ, do, he's saying, do you love me? And with that amen, it's, Lord, you know that I love you. And then, uh, and then he says, follow me. And you said, you bet. Peter, he says, he says to Peter, will you follow me and and will you, will you be willing to have, and this is right out of the Gospels, will you be willing to have your arms stretched out, arms stretched out? If you don't know, Peter dies crucified upside down in Rome. He's led where he does not want to go. That's what your amen is saying. I'm willing to do this. And all the joy that comes with it. And all the hardship. See, two weeks ago, we celebrated the Triduum. Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. And on those days, we focused our our being freed from sin through God's great sacrifice. That God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And then last week, we celebrated God's mercy, God's love taking this form of, of mercy for us and this infinite gift. And so I think that this week is really about our response to all of this. And our response needs to be joy. Not just happiness, but joy. This is something deep in us and exciting It's an adventure. Pope Francis says, the identification card of a Christian is joy. 
It is joy of the hope that Jesus is waiting for us. The joy that even in the crosses and in the sufferings of this life is having peace in the certainty that Jesus accompanies us, that he is with us. We know that he is here. We believe by our faith, by grace. We believe that God is here and he is indeed with us. And this is our joy. This is, this is, this is our joy. And it needs to just spill out into every part of our life, compelling us to pull people to Jesus with us, to get closer to God and bring others with us. This is how the world is saved. And so I'm, I'm asking you today, as we celebrate the Eucharist, come up proclaiming, rejoicing in your amen.